Have you checked the price of Bitcoin lately? It's in the tens of thousands of dollars. But what is the worth of Bitcoin? For banks and consumers trying to meet each other at a place where Bitcoin can be stored safely and transacted safely, it's a fantastic question. We pose that and more to Patrick Sells, head of bank solutions at NYDIG on Bankadelic. From the studios of Karma Productions Worldwide in Chicago, this is Lou Carlozo's Bankadelic. Bankadelic, the colorful side of finance, where we supply expert views, riff on the news, innovate and investigate actionable insights, unscripted banking with a caffeine kick. I'm your host, Lou Carlozo, inviting you to sit back, grab a cuppa, kick up your feet. Here we go. Thanks for tuning into Bankadelic. And wow, what a show we have today. I have been eager to talk about Bitcoin for some time. And I have someone I really know, trust, and admire to do that. He is American Bankers Digital Banker of the Year, Patrick Sells. Patrick, when he was at Quantic, was responsible for getting Bankadelic one of its very first sponsorships. He is now head of bank solutions at NYDIG. Patrick is an award-winning entrepreneur recognized for digital innovation in banking. He's on a mission to transform financial services through the fusion of Bitcoin and banking. Patrick has a deeply held belief that the two should be symbiotic in order to create maximum financial security for all. That Quantic, he was the chief innovation officer and evolved the firm to a leading adaptive digital bank in the U.S. through a focus on technology and innovation. Patrick, welcome back to Bankadelic. Thank you, Lou. I'm excited to be on with you and what a great way to kick off 2021. Absolutely. You've left Quantic Bank at this point to pursue an opportunity that is incredible, not just for you, but for the financial services industry as well. Tell us a little bit about the new gig. Yeah, you know, so I'm working at a company called NYDIG and I'm heading up what we call bank solutions there. And really, it's kind of like the perfect combination or mixture of my life up to this point. I'm really focused on bringing Bitcoin plus banking together for my position at NYDIG. And before getting into the world of banking a couple of years ago, I'd spent all of my life deep in new technologies and emerging technologies and then getting to be in banking for a couple of years and now getting to be in a spot where I get to work with both banks, an industry I absolutely fell in love with, and a new emerging technology like Bitcoin is very exciting for me. This idea that banking and Bitcoin can synergize in a way that delights consumers, but that also gives banks a new role in their lives. Tell us a little bit about what you see going on where banks and Bitcoin can interface meaningfully. Yeah, absolutely. So what we see today is that about 20% of Americans own Bitcoin. So as a financial asset class or a type of money, it obviously has deep reach. And at the same time, I think for banks, you know, they're thinking about what does the rise of fintechs mean and how do they play defense or offense on that? Also, from the perspective of a bank, you're always thinking about innovation and regulations and how does that work? I think that what's really interesting about where we sit today at this intersection of these different things is that 
consumers actually really want their banks to play an active role in this new thing, Bitcoin, right? So today we just finished up some very exciting research, which you know was kind of my hope and intuition, but now we have hard numbers for. 80% of Bitcoin holders in America today would rather custody it or store it with their bank. And 85% would want to buy it through their bank. Wow. Here's consumers saying, no bank, play an active role. And what I think is really exciting from then the banker's perspective is you say, okay, there's something new. What do my regulators think of it? And is it good business? And so in this case, offering Bitcoin products and services or as simple as buy, sell, hold through your bank is actually a meaningful and incremental source of non-interest income. And the OCC has given a very clear guidance as to how you can do this. The regulators are fine with it. Consumers want it. Traditional bankers tend to be nervous people. And so one of them comes to you and says, Patrick, I buy it. I get it. I am really nervous about this. What do you tell them? I understand absolutely the shoes you sit in as a bank and all the various things from compliance and reputational risk and regulations you have to think about. And so first off, I get it. And I think the next thing, though, is where education really comes in. So that this is something you want to do or your customers are asking you for. Let's have a conversation about how that can happen. One of the things, you know, that we'll usually end up talking through is, for example, okay, so Bitcoin, well, can it be hacked or what happens if it's hacked? Because I think there's been stories in the media about that happening. But at NIDIG, one of the ways we've uniquely set ourselves up as a financial services company around Bitcoin is that 100% of the Bitcoin is stored in what's called cold storage and it's offline. And that process is overseen by EUI. The Bitcoin can't be hacked. Right. So you don't have to worry about that. You want to worry about your reputation of, well, what if something like that were to happen? And so that solves for a big problem for many banks saying, OK, so now I can offer a custody solution. How do I do that? Right. And it's pretty easy with the way we are set up. It's really about API. So just like many of banks, mobile apps or online banking have done things with like Zelle or peer to peer payments or external account transfers or robo savings. All you're doing is really using an API to feed information back and forth to us. The Bitcoin's never on the bank's balance sheet. You're never buying the Bitcoin. It's really a way for you to let your customers get into this. And the other piece of it is from a KYC and AML standpoint, which is a huge thing to be thinking about as a bank, the way like we've designed it at NIDIG is the Bitcoin, when you want to sell it, that cash has to come back into your bank account that you have with your bank. So it's kind of a locked ecosystem, if you will. It's an approach that allows banks, if you will, to get into Bitcoin and meet their customers' demand and start making some revenue on this. Now, here's one thing I have written about as a journalist, and it's the volatility of Bitcoin because no central government backs it, because it exists in the cyberverse as something digital. A lot of people are cautious about it. Why does Bitcoin have so much positive potential despite all of this? Lou, it's a good question. And probably the way to best answer it is to share a bit of my own personal journey with Bitcoin. As I mentioned, I love technology. But when I first heard of Bitcoin, I didn't take the time to understand it. And I think I read a couple of media clips on it and I kind of wrote it off. And then about three years ago, I really began to say, no, I want to understand Bitcoin. And I think not just Bitcoin, but 
what is money and how do I think about money as a simple idea, right? All kinds of things have been forms of money over humanity from tulips to rocks to gold to the US dollar. And that research led me to understand a couple of really important characteristics that make up this idea of like good money or bad money, just kind of a funny way of thinking about money. But for example, money is either hard or soft and it's somewhere on that spectrum. If we all go back to middle school, the laws of supply and demand, how easy or not is it to increase the supply? The U.S. dollar, there's some kind of scary stats out there that 35% of all the U.S. dollars ever in existence have been printed in the last six months. Wow. <laughs> that's a very soft money, for example, right? So Bitcoin's this thing that's very hard. And then you also have to think about the saleability of it or how easy is it to be divided up and also transmitted. One of the misnomers I ran into a few times is someone's like, oh, wow, I can't afford a Bitcoin today. <laughs> well, each Bitcoin is divided into 100,000 units, right? And I think about that as a type of money, like that's really attractive. A dollar bill can only be divided into a couple of different increments compared to Bitcoin. But then also, how easy is it to transmit? I can instantly send Bitcoin or what I've put value in to anyone around the world. You know, we hear this analogy that Bitcoin is a form of digital gold. And I think in many ways there's some validity to that. But you can't just get on your phone and buy gold like you can Bitcoin, nor could I just send you gold right now if I wanted to. And so it was really as I got to understand Bitcoin, I realized it is the most beautiful type of money I've ever encountered in the sense of philosophically, what is money? So it's beautiful Bitcoin to me in a way. What we're seeing is the awareness, the education, and the adoption of it. And just like with any new technology, truly, or something new, there will always be volatility in it. If you remember, the internet used to go out all the time, or there was email issues, or whatever. As technology evolves, you see that kind of calm down. And so Bitcoin is a volatile asset, and we're still in that adoption phase but I think what we are seeing now and will continue to see is a calming of some of that volatility as education, adoption, awareness happens. One other thing I'm very passionate about, what banks can uniquely play in this space, is the accessibility of Bitcoin. Up until this point, if you wanted Bitcoin, you would have to invest your money into it or figure out how to do mining. For a lot of people, that may be too much or too hard. What banks can do is make it very easy, both getting a Bitcoin wallet set up and then accessible in that you can earn Bitcoin in the form of a reward on a credit card, for example. I don't have to speculate my money on that. Or one of the things I really think is interesting with interest rates where they are, a savings account that pays interest in the form of Bitcoin, not dollars. Now my cash is safe and I can start to dip my toes into Bitcoin, if you will. As we're taping the podcast, I just checked this. The price of one Bitcoin is currently $35,421. But that brings up the question of the person who's really enthusiastic about Bitcoin but feels that they have missed the boat. $35,000 for a Bitcoin, this can't possibly be something I can get in on anymore. How would you respond to that? Two different thoughts. The first one is I think it's interesting psychologically how our mind assesses or takes in information, synthesizes, I suppose, like a Bitcoin's 35,000. That feels like more than I could get into. But that doesn't mean you can't buy one one hundred thousandth of a Bitcoin today. 
But we hear that, and I think it causes some almost like visceral reaction. You know, when you think JP Morgan has recently put out the price of Bitcoin target of 146000 So $35,000 today may be seen as very cheap in the not-too-distant future. I think, though, maybe the story that comes to mind, someone once told me about how movements are started, and I think fundamentally whether you look at social networks or new technology, we can learn how movements start. And so they paint a picture of a bunch of people sitting out on a hill listening to a concert and everyone's sitting on the grass. And then that first person stands up and starts to dance. And everyone kind of looks at that person as like, that's a bit odd. And then all of a sudden, 20, 30 minutes go by and a few more people get up and they start to dance too. And instead of, you know, 20 minutes going by, this time five minutes goes by and all of a sudden the whole hill is up dancing, right? And I think we're kind of at that middle stage with Bitcoin. There are definitely more than one person out there dancing, but it's still not everyone. And so I think my encouragement would be to recognize that and to not be afraid to learn, to get exposure, to get experience, I think. With all technology, right? With the world we live in, it's changing so fast. You can't afford to say in any facet of life, like, I don't want to know how to do that. Whether that was smartphones or emails or Bitcoin, there's something fundamental to the process of staying mentally sharp and young and being willing to learn new things and in particular technology. And so at a personal level and also financially, obviously, it's a good thing to have some exposure to have some understanding, some firsthand experience with it. When you think about this new adventure you have started on in your career, what is it that gets you going? For me, what I do with my time or work, there has to be a passion element to it. And with Bitcoin and what I'm doing today, the thing I've found the most passion for it combines some things that I love, technology, finance, banks. But really what it comes down to for me or where the passion is here is Nidig is a subsidiary of a parent company called Stone Ridge. And Nidig was built to service Stone Ridge's needs as a large financial company. And the mission of Stone Ridge is to create financial security for all. And so I think now about my role at Nidig and the industry and recognizing that I may be a little on the crazy side, like I think I'm probably the only one in the country today trying to do what I'm trying to do, but the incredible importance of it. Bitcoin, I do believe, is the most beautiful type of money I've encountered. I think the need for it, given what's going on at a macroeconomic level, all the more is important as a hedge against inflation, as a store of value. And I think banks, the data points to this and just really solidified my personal commitment. Banks can play an absolutely critical role in the life of Bitcoin and making it something that people feel safe to try, safe to store, and also accessible. Like, pretty amazing to me. I was earning a Bitcoin reward, if you will, on my account in October. And that 1.5% back I was getting then with now the price of Bitcoin really means I got close to about a 7% back. And that's awesome. There's a lot of people in the world, a lot of people in the country who maybe can't, don't have the means to invest in Bitcoin. The last bank I was at, Quantic, was a community development financial institution. And things like that, I think, are awesome for banks to be able to help make Bitcoin truly accessible to anyone and everyone. And so if you had the chance to say, hey, look, here's the most beautiful type of money ever to be in existence, 
I want to make it something that people feel safe with and accessible to all. It's easy to find a lot of passion there. Beautiful money, beautiful thing, beautiful new gig. What a pleasure to spend more time with you. Patrick, thank you so much for being on the podcast. Thanks, Lou. I just can't help but say I think the world of Bitcoin and banking is exploding and, you know, NYDIG's hiring. We're looking for great talent out there. If anyone is interested in jumping on the journey, including you, Lou. <laughs> there you go. Wow. Yeah, if you need a coffee boy, I'm there. Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> Patrick Sells is head of bank solutions for NYDIG based in Manhattan. You can look for Patrick on LinkedIn. Bankadelic, sponsored by the William Mills Agency. For close to 40 years, the William Mills Agency has served hundreds of companies that provide a wide range of products and services in the banking payments, mortgage, credit union, and related markets. The William Mills Agency is the largest provider of PR and marketing services for companies that market to the financial industry. For more information, visit williammills.com. Ah, I can't believe it. Where, where's my, where's my Bitcoin? I, I, I can't find it. Let's, Subway token useless. Arcade token with smiling clown face. No, 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 no. 1881 Morgan silver dollar. No, no. Oh, wait, 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 wait. What's what's this? Bullet coin? One bullet coin? Two bullet coins? Three, bu Three, Three bullet, bullet points. points. Number one. It is the most beautiful type of money I've ever encountered in the sense of philosophically, what is money? So it's beautiful Bitcoin to me in a way. What we're seeing is the awareness, the education and the adoption of it. And just like with any new technology, truly, or something new, there will always be volatility in it. Number two. JP Morgan has recently put out the price of Bitcoin target of 146,000. So $35,000 today may be seen as very cheap. <laughs> and the not-too-distant future. Number three. 80% of Bitcoin holders in America today would rather custody it or store it with their bank. And 85% would want to buy it through their bank. Here's consumers saying, no bank, play an active role. And what I think is really exciting from then the banker's perspective is you say, okay, there's something new. What do my regulators think of it? And is it good business? And now, lose views. In 2009, the iPhone was less than two years old, and a person, or persons, nobody really knows for sure, who went by the name of Satoshi Nakamoto, wrote the manifesto that would become the basis of the world's first cryptocurrency, Bitcoin. It also led to the formation of blockchain, the distributed ledger system that Bitcoin uses. We've come a long way since 2009. Today, there are a host of cryptocurrencies, including Ethereum and Ripple. And Bitcoin, as Patrick Sells mentioned on today's podcast, has gained ubiquity and utility. Patrick went a step further and called Bitcoin beautiful. I think Patrick's on to something. It's maturing. It's coming of age. When major financial institutions such as J.P. Morgan Chase 
embrace Bitcoin and set a price target for it, you know they're taking it seriously. And we need to take it seriously too. It has tremendous potential as a creator of wealth. Just as the reporter who could have bought it at $200 per Bitcoin when it's worth $35,000 or thereabouts today. One thing's for sure, Bitcoin is here to stay. And it will be fascinating as 2021 unfolds to watch it blossom, not just in terms of its financial value, but its social value and its transactional value as banks, consumers, and blockchain come one step closer to being as one. Thanks for tuning in to Bankadelic. We hope you join us next time and check back in the weeks ahead as we build our podcast vault. Our producer in Chicago is Jenny Elman. Thanks again to the William Mills Agency for their generous sponsorship. Thanks also to Quantic. I'm Lou Carlozo. You can catch me on LinkedIn. And if you've got a milkshake, I'm drinking. Until next time, so long. Bankadelic is a production of Contrarian New Media, London, Chicago, and Austin, Texas.